So thankful. As Dave said, um, we're going to follow a little bit different flow today. We're going to be on a journey together in a story called The Road to Emmaus. And so the way that we're going to gather is going to follow the flow of that story. I'm so excited to be back together in person. Is anyone else thankful for that reality? Oh, I'm thankful for this beautiful outdoor cathedral that we've been given, that we're a church without walls and the beauty of the day. Did anyone else pray for better weather than last time when we were here? I'm praying for healing from the trauma of the last gathering here. We've had some very special moments here and some incredibly cold moments here. And so God, thank you that you are with us here this morning. We've been exuberantly yelling a statement, he is risen, he is risen indeed. I don't know if Easter's ever had more meaning for me than this year. I just feel the weight of it. And uh, I feel it, the sacred nature of it, being with family today. I want to invite you into that space of meaning. We can yell, he is risen, he is risen indeed. But the truth is, on the first Easter morning, they weren't feeling any of that. They were turned upside down and inside out in utter and total despair, in loss and in pain. And honestly, as we prayed about this gathering, we couldn't deny that where our body has been, Nava, a family, and even where the world has been, invites us and even begs us to sit for a moment longer in where they were. And we prayed and felt that we were to go on a journey this morning. <clears throat> I want to invite us to enter the story of two people on the road to Emmaus. And so we welcome you, Spirit of the Father, in this space. We welcome you to bring us in to something that could just feel like an ancient story. And to bring us into our own hearts this morning. The story's in Luke chapter 24. You can follow if you want to follow, or you can just be taken into the narrative if you want to sit back and imagine. It says that that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. All the things that have happened. So many things had happened to them. They were in absolute shock. They had just seen the most horrific thing we could ever imagine. I've never seen a man unrecognizable hung on a cross to breathe out his last and suffer and die. Especially somebody who I loved with all my heart. The disappointment would be hard for us to even enter into. But I want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning. To enter into loss. 
the deepest place of loss, meaningless, meaningless, everything that they had put their hope in was gone and it was finally gone and dead. It was hopeless. It was tragic. It was catastrophic. It was the moment in your life when you cry out, I don't want this to be my story. Have you ever had a moment like that? I don't want this to be my story. They were shattered and their hearts were broken and they were left alone to pick up the pieces of a dead guy that they thought was going to do everything they dreamed of. And it was gone. And this is what they were talking about. They might as well have been walking on a road to nowhere. Seven miles from Jerusalem, they walked and they talked. My friend Alan Emerson, one of my dearest friends, wrote a profound book called Luminous Dark about the tragedy of losing his wife only a few years into their marriage. Having poured everything into her, he watched her hair fall out. He watched her slowly decay until she breathed her last breath. And he screamed to God, this is not my story. These are his words. He said, to separate us meant a violent ripping, a tearing apart. Death had broken the covenant we had embraced. Death had broken the covenant we had embraced. And these were his words. It was over. It was total darkness. It was silence. But silence doesn't always mean absence. The next part of this story is is incredible. Verse 15 says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Listen to those words. Here comes the resurrection, walking down the meaningless road of darkness. Here comes the resurrection, hidden as a traveler walking in our pain. Here comes the resurrection. He is drawing near and he is with us. Those might be the only words we need in our life. He was drawing near and he was with us. Can you say that to yourself right now? You are drawing near and you are with me. You are drawing near and you are with me. This traveler is not going to rush them in the process of their pain. He's not going to come saying, God is in control. He is drawing near and he is with them. And it says their eyes could not recognize him. 
Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I've thought a lot about this part. Maybe it was their disappointment that knocked out their ability to find God. But I think something else was going on. I think here we have God wanting to draw near, but he can't resist being close to them in their pain. But it would be too much for them for him to show his face. Do you see the kindness of this traveler? Can you see the kindness of this traveler who says, I can't resist but be close to you, but I'm not going to overwhelm you with my face. You can't deal with that right now. It would be too much where you are. It's an incredible moment of his kindness. The story goes on as the travel walks with them for some time. And you can begin to feel the metaphor of life coming to us. The story unfolds and the traveler doesn't come with answers. He comes asking questions. What if God comes to us and draws out our pain with his questions? What if he doesn't always show up and say, you should get through it. You should believe this. If you only had this theology, you would make it. What if he comes and he wants to hear where you are? And so he says these words. What is the conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? That could be meditated on for a long time. What is the conversation that we are holding with one another as we walk on the road of grief? And they begin to explain to him their conversation. It says that they stood still and they looked sad. There was this acknowledgement of the loss, of the pain, and of the grief. And they begin to explain to him are you just a visitor to Jerusalem? You don't know what's happened in these days? The traveler, being a little bit cheeky, says, What things? Tell me more. Often we start processing at a place that isn't the deepest place. And God comes and he courts out and he goes, Tell me more what's going on. And they say, well, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. He was doing miracles. But the elders and the chief priests, they crucified him and they put him to death. Can you see the face of the traveler walking with them? And then it gets a little more vulnerable We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, and besides that, it's the third day, and some of the women came back from his grave and said he wasn't there, so the men went to go check it out, and they didn't see anything.
God comes with a conversation, drawing out our pain. He comes wanting to know what's in your heart. He comes in and on the road of your loss. This is who God is. Those words strike me so deeply. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We don't have that hope anymore. We've lost too much to carry that anymore. Life has utterly fallen apart. And we can't see it anymore. I wonder what it would be like for you or I to fill in the blank. We had hoped he would be the one to... What would you fill in the blank with? I hoped he would do this for me. I gave him everything that I had. I cried out to him. I hoped, but it's done. I hoped this story was going to go different. And I just don't have it in me to hope anymore. I've lost. The word Emmaus means this, the burning place. The burning place. It is a road called life, which is filled with the fire of loss and pain and grief. Can anyone identify with this? It is a road called life. It is a burning place. Life is just hard. Where there is loss, there is grief. And where there is great loss, there is great grief. To take it a layer deeper, our brother Gene Olvera, who suffered greatly in our midst, he would take that statement a, a little bit deeper recently in saying this. Where there is love, there is grief. Where there is great love, there is great grief. We have lost a lot as a family. We have lost a lot in this world. I'm aware that sitting in this room is a spectrum of loss. And because it's a spectrum of loss, there's a spectrum of grief. Some losses are so painful and devastating, like one of the families in our body right now, that just making it through the day, the only goal is surviving that day. But all losses are important to acknowledge. And the calling and invitation of the road is to pay attention to our pain and acknowledge our loss. Can we just get honest for a moment and acknowledge how much we have lost in the last year? As we sit here, over half a million people have died from COVID in our nation. More than three million people on the earth did not make it through this last 
14 months. And because numbers overwhelm us, I want to remind us that these are not numbers. These are parents, like Jana, who's going to come later and bring us into her grief. Thank you, Jana. We miss your father. We're so sorry for you. These are grandparents and their neighbors and their brothers and their sisters and their co-workers. Sometimes we just want to make it all better and get back and we miss that God doesn't miss our losses. This week is the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. And all the trauma that we went through last June is being reopened in our nation. Can you feel the black community grieving or do you care? The trauma is getting ripped open. How about 3,800 hate crimes to Asian Americans this year? Many of women And we have brothers and sisters in our church who have been been profiled and stereotyped and ridiculed for their ethnicity all the days of their life as Asian Americans. And the pain of racial prejudice has been ripped open in our nation. And Jesus is paying attention. He is walking the road of fiery grief. What about the mass shootings just in the last few weeks? What about Ethiopians as we sit here in our luxury who are starving to death? There is economic disaster and loss that is not just I don't have as much in my bank account, but people aren't eating because Western nations' economies are struggling so badly. He is present to these massive losses. And as Dr. Henry Cloud would say, COVID was a perfect storm that knocked out every pillar that we rely on for human flourishing. It knocked out our ability to connect, which is how we know we're okay. Some of us miss time with our loved ones over the holidays. Have you acknowledged that loss? You've missed birthdays that were really significant. You go, well, that just seems trite. No, it's a loss. Your children, some have missed graduations or being in school with classmates. They've missed connection. We as the body of Christ haven't been able to come together. We haven't been able to be with those that we love. These are losses in our connection. We've lost our rhythm and our structures our schedules, your children have been in your home and everything is messed up. Some of you are excited and some of you, it's a loss where home became everything. It disrupted all of the routines of life. We lost provision. Some of us lost jobs. We lost loved ones and and there's longings unfulfilled. We lost in chronic pain. 
Some of us lost in the single of sing, the season of singleness where nobody could come and connect with us and we felt more alone than ever before and that longing is unmet and it's, it's a loss. It's painful. We have lost in so many ways. And I want to say it again. Every loss is important. Every pain should be paid attention to. Jesus is called the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So he could teach us to mourn. Can I share words from Jesus that are moving my heart? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The doorway to comfort is the ability to mourn. The beauty of Jesus is he's a man of sorrow. And I just want to acknowledge that I have been a novice apprentice to the man of sorrows. I am learning how to grieve. My own wife who lives in pain every single day. And I'm going, God, I need to enter into the road of grief. How do we do this? In all the losses of her life, the man of sorrows is saying, would you mourn with me? My friend Craig Westhoff shares these thoughts about mourning. Mourning in Aramaic means this. See if you can identify with this. Those who long deeply for something to occur. Those who are troubled or in emotional turmoil. Those who are weak in want from such longing. Troubled in emotional turmoil. Longing deeply, weak from wanting. Another way to read Jesus' words are, Blessed are those in deep longing who actively feel and express their grief and loss. Maybe the feeling you've been having for the last year when you don't know what it is because grief is a chameleon that acts like all kinds of things, could it be that the emotion is, I am feeling grief? And could it be that grief leads us into the presence of God? And could it be that paying attention to our pain would be a doorway into his presence? And could it be that acknowledging our losses looks more like the kingdom than we thought it did? There's two things we can do with all these losses. And as I'm naming them, I'm wondering, can you name them in your own life? And do you know that he is on the road with you? That he is with us? These losses can either be resisted or they can be released. We resist them in all kinds of ways. We diminish them. The losses aren't so much. We rationalize them. We deny them. We can numb ourselves and distract ourselves from feeling these losses. We can deal with them in all kinds of ways. We can try to dam up the river. But if we don't let the river of our longing flow, it will be toxic and damage your heart and those around you. These losses and longings unmet are meant to be like a river of the Spirit, our pains carried into the heart of the Father 
to pay attention to your feelings and your pains, to acknowledge your losses and to let them flow, let them release. That is exactly what these griefs need to and want to do. Will you let your griefs do what they're supposed to do to rise and be expressed and felt and released to the heart of God? I believe this is where the road to Emmaus starts. The river of longing flowing to the Father. I want to welcome up Jana and Katie. As they're coming, I want to say that emotions are to be in motion. Griefs are to be expressed. Longings unmet mean something to God. And he wants to walk with us down the road of grief. And for some of you, we're going to move on in the story. And I want to say, Jesus gives you permission to stay on the road with him as long as possible. And he might be silent, but he is not absent on that road. We are going to go into a process of entering into what the scripture calls lament. Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments to God. Jeremiah said, my eyes were like fountains and they flowed into the heart of God and they would not cease as destruction continued. I want to give us permission to be a people as fluent in the space of letting our grief and longing flow as we are in the victory. I know some of us are sitting here going, this is the strangest Easter beginning I've ever been to. Welcome to the strangest year we've ever lived through. And I love that the world just goes on. The world goes on like nothing happened, but Jesus hasn't moved on from you. Wow. <laughs> well, a lot of you don't know me because I see a lot of faces that I, d I don't recognize. But like Adam said, my, my dad um, died the day after Thanksgiving from COVID just four months ago, a little over four months ago. So this feels all really fresh and real and tender for me. I'm just going to share a couple of things I've been thinking these last um, few days just around grief and suffering and the way that Jesus is with us in it. And then I'm going to read a, a liturgy out. Um, I've been thinking that to see resurrection, we must first bear witness to death. We, we don't get resurrection without death first, right? 
And there's been so many thoughts swirling in my mind this week around this idea. And one of the questions I was thinking is, could grief actually be a womb? Could there actually be this place where something new is birthed out of our our suffering and our sorrow and our grief and our loss? Because Jesus does some of his best work in the dark places, right? Babies are formed and knitted together. Seeds die when they go into the ground and trees and amazing things grow. And Jesus himself literally went into a tomb, into the dark and died. And out of that place we get life (laughs) and we get to be with Jesus. And I think that on the Emmaus Road here, Jesus was able to be with his friends in a way that he wasn't before. Not just because he was in a resurrected new whole body, but because he had suffered. He had gone through a trauma and a grief and he was literally tortured and beaten and murdered and then was able to just be with them in their pain because he knew what it felt like. He had all the hope and joy and life and resurrection to share with them. It was Jesus and he was alive again. And like Adam's just so beautifully laid out, he didn't rush there. He just went with them into their pain. I've heard someone say that like, well, we're not here to compare griefs and each person's grief is the worst one. Like yours is the worst, right? But the thing that we all need in our grief and our pain and our loss is for it to be witnessed. For someone to say, I see you. I know this hurts. And I'll just be with you in it. And that's what Jesus does for us. Do you have anything to say before I read? (laughs) So I'm going to read out this liturgy. take us into our next part of the morning. And this is a liturgy for embracing both joy and sorrow. So if you can just prepare yourself, just allow the spirit to bring to mind whatever your loss may be. You may already know what it is, but maybe you don't and that's okay. Just allow him to show you where he wants to meet you today. Do not be distant, O Lord, lest I find this burden of loss too heavy 
and shrink from the necessary experience of my grief. Do not be distant, O Lord, lest I become so mired in yesterday's hurts that I miss entirely the living gifts this day might hold. Let me neither ignore my pain, pretending all is okay when it isn't, nor coddle and magnify my pain so that I dull my capacity to experience all that remains good in this life. For joy that denies sorrow is neither hard won, nor true, nor eternal. It is not real joy at all. And sorrow that refuses to make space for the return of joy and hope in the end becomes nothing more than a temple for the worship of my own woundedness. So give me strength, O oh God, to feel this deep grief deeply and never to hide my heart from it. And give me also hope enough to remain open to surprising encounters with joy, as one on a woodland path might stumble suddenly into dapples of golden light. Amidst the pain that lades these days, give me courage, O oh Lord. Courage to live them fully, to love and to allow myself to be loved, to remember, grieve, honor what was, to live with thanksgiving in what is, and to invest in the hope of what will be. Be at work, gilding these long heartbreaks with the advent of new joys, good friendships, true fellowships, unexpected delights, and remind me again and again of your goodness, your presence, your promises. For this is who we are, a people of the promise. A people shaped in the image of the God whose very being generates all joy in the universe, yet also weeps and grieves in brokenness. So we, your children, are also at liberty to lament our losses, even as we simultaneously rejoice in the hope of their coming resurrection. Let me learn now, O oh Lord, to do this naturally as the inhale and exhale of a single breath to breathe out sorrow, to breathe in joy, to breathe out lament, to breathe in hope, to breathe out pain, to breathe in comfort, to breathe out sorrow and to breathe in joy, to breathe out joy. In one hand I grasp the burden of my grief, while with the other I reach for the hope of grief's redemption. And here between the tension of the two, between what was and what will be, in the very is of now, let my heart be surprised by, shaped by, warmed by, remade by the same joy that forever wells within and radiates from your heart, O oh God. Amen.
Jesus, we acknowledge your presence on the road. We acknowledge you drawing out our pain and asking us to pay attention. Jesus, we thank you that you walk the road. That you draw near and you are with us. In every loss that has been written down and every loss that is still in hearts right now, we say draw near and be with us. We trust you. We're going to go back into this story. I invite you to uh, sit if you want to for a few more minutes before we go back into worship. I think this is only the beginning, family, of learning to walk the road with Jesus. And again, if you're still in that place, I give you permission to be with him here in that place. There's a conversation the travelers help, having, helping them acknowledge their losses and pay attention to their pain. He's walking with them in the road. But then the traveler turns to them and begins to speak. And he, sound, he says words that may even feel a little bit harsh at the moment. But don't forget that the words he spoke to Mary are, why are you weeping? And the words he, he brought to dear Thomas was, touch my scars. And as he's cooking breakfast to Peter, the words he brought to Peter were, do you love me? Remember, he's the one, even when he has resurrection in his pocket, he's weeping with Mary of Bethany. But these words were for these two travelers, and he says to them, do you not yet understand? Are you foolish? Why is your heart so slow to trust all that the prophets have spoken can you see the traveler? Can you see him turn to these two on that road? What would this, if there was any talk in all of scripture that I've spent time meditating on and dreaming into and I wish was recorded, this is the one. This traveler begins to open up and he says, did the Christ not have to suffer and then enter his glory. The traveler is about to open up the story of suffering love and of hope. The story of suffering love and hope. And you can see the traveler almost saying, can you not see him? Can't you see him through not just the road here, but all of the road of history with all of you humanity? Can you not see him traveling with you, allowing every tragic twist in turn to break his heart again and again and again and again? Can you see him? Can you see him in the light 
breaking into formless darkness in the beginning, he was there. Can you see him when all went dark in the garden? Can you see him running after them? Can you see him in their shame taking a sacrifice and he himself covering their nakedness? Can you see him grieving tears that flooded a whole earth because of the damage of humanity? Can you see him? He's the ark that surrounded Noah and saved the family. Can you see him? He's with them as they walk off lonely from the Tower of Babel. Can you see him? Can you hear him? Can you imagine these travelers looking at this guy? They still don't know who they're talking to, but something's beginning to happen in the depths of their disappointment. Something's begin to stir beyond their mind, down in their wounded soul. Something is coming to life. Can you see him in the cry of Abraham? Come follow me and leave your family. Can you see him walking into a wilderness that's supposed to be a promise? Can you see him waiting all those years in agony for a son, but the son never coming? He waits long in your suffering. Did you miss him there? Isn't the Messiah there? Isn't he going to suffer? Can't you see him under the knife of a shaking father? And can't you see him as the lamb caught in the thicket? As the father falls to the ground weeping, maybe that father was holding the hand of the father as the, the real father in heaven lowered the death blow to his son. Can't you see him? Can't you see him there in the call of those dear sons? Can't you see him in the ladder inside of Jacob's dream, the angels ascending and descending? Maybe heaven's closer than you thought in your disappointment and your fear? Can't you see him in that young dreamer, Joseph, as he's taken from a dream and thrown into a pit and then into prison? Can't you see him? He works all things to good, even though you couldn't see him. He was there on the road. Can't you see him for 400 years in the midst of their slavery? He hears their cry. He feels their suffering. He comes down to deliver. Can't you see him stuck in the reeds with a basket of a deliverer named Moses? Can't you see him? He was there all along. Can't you see him lighting up in your dark night and he's the fire in the bush? Can you see him? What's happening to these travelers? Man, I want to hear this story. Friends, something's beginning to burn deep, deep down inside of them. Can't you see him? He will fight for you when your enemies of slavery surround you. Can't you see him as he brings you through the walls of water of impossibility? Can't you see him? He was there fulfilling the law. He's the fire on the mountain. Can't you see him in your wandering wilderness? He's your manna. It's round because it's eternal. It's thin because it's fragile. It's sweet because he will be sweet to you in your place of wandering. He's your daily bread. Can't you see him? He's living in the midst of your village 
in skin. Can't you see him? He's making a way for the nations. Can't you see him? He is the sacrifice and the Passover lamb. Can't you see him? He's been there all along. Can't you see him? Can't you see him now? He is with you in the road of your pain, hidden in plain sight. He's been weeping with you. Can't you see him now? Can you see him fighting battles as you slowly inherit the land? Wait, can't you see him? He is the promised land. Can't you see him over and over? Can you see him in the sling of David as the giant falls and your enemy taunts you? Can you see him with the sheep on the hillside? Can you see him in David's song of love or in his song of lament? Can't you hear Psalm 22? He's been there all along. I'm not a man, I'm a worm. They surround me like dogs and rip my body apart. Can you see him? Is he burning in your heart? He's been there hidden in your poem, hidden in your song. Can you see him? He's been there. What were the words of this traveler? He just keeps going as they're walking. Can you see him now? Something's coming alive in all the places of your pain. Can you see him in the wisdom of Solomon? Can you see him in the sacrifices year after year in the temple? Can you see him? He's the high priest coming in on your behalf. Can you see him? The veil's getting thinner. Can you see him in the meaningless of Ecclesiastes? That everything is meaning less and less? There's a time for weeping and a time for rejoicing, a time for tearing down and a time for building up. There's a time for love. There's a time for hate. There's a time to weep. Can you meet him there? But wait, there he's hidden in Ecclesiastes. Everything will be beautiful in its time. And eternity is hidden in your heart. Can you see him in the skin decaying and falling off of Job? And then Job breaks out and says, I have seen my Redeemer and he lives. And though my flesh is ripped apart, he will stand on the earth and I will stand and I will see him. Can you see him? Can you see him in Jeremiah at the bottom of a pit? He's Jeremiah's tears. Can you see him? He's been there all along. Wait, Psalms is saying something we never imagined. He's recorded all your miseries. Every tear you've cried is in a bottle that God has. Every loss that you've ever suffered, it's written in a book. Can you see him? He's in the exile. Can't you see him? He's in the return. Can you see him? Wait. Can you see him in 400 years of silence when you're crying out, how long, God, he's there in the silence? Can you hear him in the little cry of a baby born in a nowhere place? Can you see him 30 years in obscurity? Wait, the story is better than tears in a bottle or tears in a book. Psalm 40 says, sacrifices you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. This is the story the traveler tells. Your pain is not just in a bottle. Your pain is not just in a book. Your pain entered the body of God. For he 
carried your pain. He embodied our suffering. We can no longer say, God, you don't understand. We might not understand, but God says, I am inside of your forsakenness. I have embodied every loss you have ever lost. I have taken it into my body. I'm not going to answer all your questions of why. I am just going to feel your pain. Can we stop for a second? God is inside of our suffering. And we've missed him all the way along in the story. He's always been in our pain. This is the suffering love of God. It is a story of suffering love. This is love, pierced and crushed. Every sin, every moment of damage, every second of pain is not just stored in a bottle or a book. It is in the body of Jesus. And when he is raised from the dead, can you imagine no one knew the greatest miracle? He's like, he's alone in the tomb, and he's going, Father, we did it. They still don't know the guy they're talking to has been raised from the dead. Can you imagine? He is the first fruits of what all things will be. He is the beginning of a whole new creation. And he is talking to them. But when he comes to them, have you ever wondered about the resurrection carrying scars? Why does a new creation carry scars? The resurrection means this. The resurrection does not mean we will not continue to suffer. The resurrection does not mean we will not have pain and loss. The resurrection means that our pain and our loss and our suffering now has meaning. It means that our pain is not in vain. It means that our losses are not lost forever, but they given to God can become worship. It means that he's carrying scars because he's carrying in his own resurrected body everything you've ever suffered. And it isn't wasted. He won't let go of those scars because they cost you and they cost him. It is how he carries you with him. The abuse that you've gone through, the people that you have lost, he carries it in a body. This is your God. And he says that your loss and your pain and your suffering now has meaning. It now has hope. The resurrection means this that you have been burst anew into a living and eternal hope. And that suffering, yes, is a fire. It is a fire of grief. It is a fire of loss. It's a fire that begins to thin the veil between heaven and earth. Your loss is a fire 
that's making you like Jesus. Your loss is a fire that is allowing you to not just be pitied because something bad happened, but that you now know, wow, the brokenness of God. You now know the intimate brokenness of God. You can now fellowship with his sufferings. This is the place that you won't have in the ages to come. The resurrection means that while we suffer, even death is not the end of the story. It means that there is a day when our tears will be dried, when our questions will be answered, that our losses and our longings unmet will be fulfilled in his face. But right now you have the opportunity to give him something you will not have to give him then, to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. When the beautiful vase is demolished on the ground, that is what it feels like. That is what our pain feels like right now. It feels like a body broken and torn because of God's love. Do you understand? This is the story he's telling them. To know the fellowship of his sufferings. To know the power of his resurrection. This is Jesus' invitation to us. Now these two travelers are bewildered and mesmerized, and they have no idea what just happened to them. And Jesus goes, all right, guys, we'll see you later. I'm going on. And they go, no, stay with us. We've never heard a story like that. We're seeing something we weren't able to see in our loss and our pain. Come and eat with us. And it says that they come to a table. And at the table, this traveler looks at them. And it says that he takes the bread and he blesses it. And then he breaks it just like I did. And he begins to give it to them. They had been at this table before, but now they were at the table with the one who had suffered. They were at the table with one who had told the story. And it says their eyes were opened. And they discovered him and saw him. And as they did, he vanished. What a moment. They looked at each other and they said, Did our hearts not burn when he told us that story on the road? Something in the middle of their devastation was waking up. Their hearts were burning. The road of grief and burning was turning to a burning of hope and hearts that were alive again. I believe that there's like a prophetic word right here. You see that pink tree over the side? Our dear friend Dylan Mortimer painted that tree that was dead. He painted it because he wanted to bring it back to life. 
as a picture of his own lungs. I asked him about the tree. And he said, well, that's actually the second tree I did. The first one I did another place in this park. But it was so dead, they had to cut it down. So I did this one, and he said, this one we thought was dead, and then he sent me pictures that life began to spring out of the dead branches of it. The reason it's so profound and powerful is it's a picture of his own lungs. He's on his second pair of lungs, and the first pair had to be thrown out. And he's living as a miracle, a prophetic miracle of resurrection hope. And I feel like God is speaking to Nava about a season that we walked through. God walking through our grief over the last three years. And here we are, full circle. Maybe at the same table, but now our eyes are opening. And God wants to make us a prophetic word. That's what was spoken at our 15-year anniversary, that he wants us to embody something. He's inviting us to allow him to walk the road of our grief and pain to be with us. He's inviting us to open our ears to hear a story that he's been there all along suffering with us and now there's hope. He's inviting us home to a table where we can see him in our pain. He's inviting us. He's inviting us to return as they ran that road to Jerusalem back to the very places of our disappointment. Here's the reality. If we won't let Jesus walk with us in our grief, how will we ever be close to the broken heart in Nava? I believe that's what we're called to do. If we won't let him tell us the story until our hearts burn, how will we carry the story of suffering, love, and resurrection to the city around us? If we won't let him bring us home at the table, we are blessed, broken, and given as a people. How will we ever bring home a generation who's hurting and hopeless with us? If we won't let him return us to the places of our pain, how will we walk with others as they return to those places with hope? I want to invite you to stand with me as we close and head back into worship. This is a big mess up here, just like life, hey? I feel like we're in a sacred and holy moment as a family. For the last three years, we've been walking a road of grief. We started three years ago with a series called Hope Against Hope. And we changed the series, but I'm not sure God did. I think Nava is a people that is learning to walk through fire and be made like Jesus. He's made a covenant in his own body, broken and his blood poured out. He's married us. And God brought to mind my wedding moment. It was profound. I had these amazing vows written and I cried and I shared them. But when my wife shared her vows, I realized my vows were ridiculous. <laughs> they were so much more simple and powerful and heartfelt. She stood at the altar 
And something dawned on me when I was remembering her vows that it was just like the story of the road to Emmaus. As she stood at the altar with tears running down her face and I'm weeping, she said to me with all of her heart that she gave me every part of who she was. I want to today remember that Jesus made a covenant with us. And I want to remember that we are living in a marriage with him. We're becoming the wife of the lamb. Even as the kids come, I want to invite you into this holy moment. If you can just stay with me a few minutes longer, because I feel like it's a holy moment. Even last night, Katie had three dreams about us renewing our vows to Jesus. You may or may not feel this right now, but I want to invite you to give in a moment to give your feet to him to walk the road of fiery grief. I'm gonna invite you to give your ears to him, to hear the story of resurrection hope again and again and again. I'm gonna invite you to give your heart to him, to burn with hope. I'm gonna invite you to give all that you are to the Lord. And I wanna welcome you to renew a covenant with the Lord, if you would. Can we close our eyes and just open our hands to him? And if you would, pray with me out loud. We're going to go back into worship out of the place of resurrection hope. Jesus, today we remember your suffering love. your broken body and your poured out blood. That you made a covenant with us that cannot be broken and that lasts forever. Today we give you our feet to walk the road of grief. Walk with us. Today I give you my ears to hear the story of love and hope again and again. Today I give you my heart to burn with hope even when I'm in pain. Today, I give you my eyes to see you in every season of my soul. Today, I give you my hands to reach out to a hurting and hopeless world. Today I renew my covenant with you, my bridegroom. I am yours forever. I am yours forever. I love you, Nava. We're gonna enter in to the beauty and the wonder of worship as Jesus has overcome 
even death itself.